You know, it's interesting. I think one of the greatest forms of worship is the noise of God's people sharing their lives together. So uh, thank you for that. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm really glad you're here. If, if you're new to Remnant, man, welcome. Um, we're all on this journey to try to figure out this God that we've encountered. And, and you know, it's, it's odd. I talk about this all the time, but we go through our lives and we falsely think we have everything together. And we, we try to act like we got it all cool. We try to act like we got everything under control. On the inside, we're churning and worrying and freaking out, but we try to give everybody the impression that we're, we're cool, we got it. And then things happen in our lives because we're really not qualified to be God. And what happens is we end up kind of driving our life into a ditch or, or it becomes obvious not only to us, but to everybody that, wow, we need help. Um, and so we begin looking, and I've talked before about how we go to self-help books and how we go online. We do all these things. And then finally, at least for me, you stumble into a place like this. And you go, okay, all right, all right. God, is it possible you're the answer? Is it possible you're the thing I'm missing? I'm not even sure you exist, but if you're real, I have to know. And the beauty of that statement is that in the book of Jeremiah, God says, look, when you seek me with all your heart, then you'll find me. And so we get to this point in our lives where we come in here and we go, wow, could this be true? And then what happens is we, we think, okay, I'm gonna gain enough knowledge, I'm gonna figure this out, because that's how I've approached every problem in my life. And what happens is we think if we gain enough knowledge about Jesus, if we can understand the religion, if we can understand the religious practices, if we can begin to go through some human effort, maybe, just maybe, we can get God to pour his blessings out on us. And what happens is we come here, we begin to learn. But then something deeper happens. We begin to realize that this isn't about us gaining knowledge. All of a sudden, we realize we're in a relationship. And there's a very real God who really, really wants to interact with us. And we can't explain it and we can't figure it out and we certainly can't tell other people what it's like. All we can say is come, come experience what I've experienced. You won't believe it either. And so all of us come here and all of us are online from different parts or walks in our lives, but it's not an accident that we're here. God has brought us here for this moment. You didn't just stumble in here. You're here for a reason. You're online for a reason. There, somehow God wants to say, hey, take another step closer to me. Moments. Moments are so powerful, aren't they? There are moments in your lives where you just know they're powerful. Now, I had mentioned in a moment about two weeks ago that I was going to do a series on Exodus and how Jesus is, is foreshadowed all through the book of Exodus. And I honestly have it about half written. And the more I sat down and prayed about it, the more I felt God saying, you haven't finished telling them about me yet. And, and so I just finished a series, 12 weeks on the fruit of the spirit. And we've gone through every fruit. And as I sat down to do this series, God's like, no, no, we're not done yet. You haven't taught them about the Holy Spirit. You haven't taught them about the gifts of the Spirit. You haven't taught them about the things that I still want you to reveal. So we're going to start a new series, and it's called All In. Now, 
so that we can understand this journey. We have been given a gift of the relationship with the Holy Spirit. For those of us who believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us. And he's what many have called the forgotten God. And along the way in this journey, let me just give you an idea of where we're headed. I'm going to talk about what was the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament? Who is the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit a force or a person? What happened in the upper room? What, what was that all about? Was that a one-time occurrence or does that get replicated today? What is charisma? What is this charismatic movement? We just studied the fruit of the Spirit, but what about the gifts of the Spirit? What about the discerning gifts like the word of knowledge, the word of truth, discerning the spirits? What about the declarative gifts of prophecy and tongues? What's the difference between the gift of tongues and the grace of tongues? What are the dynamic gifts, faith, healing, and miracles? What about two baptisms? I've read about two baptisms. Are we baptized both by water and fire? Is there a second baptism of the Spirit? What is blasphemy of the Spirit, and have I done that? What about the craziness surrounding the Holy Spirit? Some Christ followers seem to ignore the Holy Spirit altogether and to think that to embrace His presence is crazy and out of control. Others seem to try to stir up more of the Holy Spirit, trying to bring up something that they can control or manipulate. They have the Holy Spirit almost like a puppet on a string. What are we to do with that and why is that happening? Where do we find balance and what is the proper biblical perspective? That's where we're headed. Now let me say in advance, on some points you're going to totally disagree. Get ready for it. It's just gonna happen. It's okay. If you think Remnant's gonna teach that all the gifts stopped in the first century, you're gonna be really disappointed. If you think, oh great, Remnant's finally gonna become crazy charismatic, you too will be greatly disappointed. But let me make a promise to you. We're gonna study the scriptures together. My job is not to convince you of anything. My job is to equip the saints for ministry. Here's what the scriptures say. We're gonna to understand together what God's word says about the Holy Spirit. We're gonna to learn together how to position ourselves and remain open to whatever it is that God wants to do. We're not gonna be afraid of the greatest gifts God has ever given us, but we're also not gonna to try to conjure up or control or prove our spirituality by experiencing something or pretending to experience something that's not actually from God. So that's where we're headed. Now, this series started in my heart because of some moments in my life. I talked a minute ago about the power of the moment. There are things that happen. There are decisions we make. There are decisions made for us that shape our lives. When you look back over your life, you, you see these milestones, but they're very difficult to see in the moment sometimes. You, you know things are happening, but you're not totally sure of the significance. Sometimes the very mundane thing in your life becomes a huge milestone. You walk into a coffee shop and you meet your future wife. Those things, you don't realize in the moment that that's a big deal, but it's a huge deal. 
It takes time sometimes to look back and say, wow, that was a big moment in my life. But there are other moments in our lives, moments that we know are special when they're happening. Moments that you know are big in the moment. When something happens, you're just there and you're like, okay, I'm gonna remember this moment for the rest of my life. I'm never gonna be able to change now that I have experienced this moment. These moments seem to ignite things. This moment seemed to cause a cascade of events. Things start to happen. Almost like a domino has fallen and all the others are going to respond. I tend to think of these moments as flashpoints. That moment when an ember turns into a fire and it just kind of erupts, when an idea or a moment sparks everything. Once that flashpoint occurs, you know you are changed. You may not know what the change is, but you know you're experiencing something that's changing you. Usually you understand it's a big moment, but you don't understand the consequences. Flashpoints often cause us to lose our breath, to, to cry out, oh God, and know that we really mean it. Once a flashpoint occurs, you can't undo it, you can't go back, and you can't be the person you were before. Many of us have experienced flashpoints in our lives. Let me just show you a few of them. For some, the generations, the moment at Pearl Harbor was a massive flashpoint. They knew on that Sunday the world would never be the same again. It was a moment in history where you know as you're watching, I remember my grandparents talking about it, they knew this moment would be a defining moment in human history for the United States. Many of us remember the spaceship Challenger. It's a moment. I remember exactly where I was that morning. For those of us who lived that, we knew that was a big moment. It would make things different. They wouldn't be the same. We don't have to go very far back to remember the World Trade Center. A moment. You knew in that moment, in that flashpoint, the world was not going to be the same. You didn't know what the consequences were going to be, but you knew in that moment, I will not be the same tomorrow as I was yesterday because of this moment, this power moment. For many of us, the last year is another moment in history where we will remember what it was like to experience the COVID pandemic. It's a moment. It, we can't go back and undo it. We're probably going to be standing six part, feet apart from people for the next thousand years and not know why. But it's going to change who we are. It's going to change the way that we interact. It's going to change the way that we even see ourselves in a global world. It's a, it's a moment. It's a flashpoint. We also see flashpoints in Scripture. Abraham and Isaac, flashpoint. Abraham going to the top of the mountain and planning to sacrifice Isaac, a, a huge moment in human history. Moses and the burning bush. Another moment where Moses didn't know exactly what was going on, but he knew things were about to change. Peter stepping out on the water and walking to Jesus, a moment that would be talked about forever, a moment that would change Peter forever. 
Jesus on the cross. Another moment that would forever change man, would forever change the world. A moment that redefined time. A moment that changed the way we look before Christ and after Christ. A flashpoint. And then there's the moment when the grave could no longer hold him. Another spiritual flashpoint. The world would never be the same. Christ had overcome death. Flashpoints wake us up. They they give us a moment to decide if we're all in. They leave us with a sense of wonder and awe sometimes. Spiritual milestones always move us closer to Jesus. One of the flashpoint moments in my life occurred when I was 34 years old. I'd grown up in church. I knew all the stories of the Bible. My dad was a deacon. My mom worked in the church. But I walked away from the church when I was 17. I saw too many hypocritical Christians filling the pews on Sunday and ignoring God everywhere else. In a very conservative Southern Baptist church in Dallas, I was exposed to many youth leaders who were pretending to follow Jesus. It was at a church youth group that I was first offered alcohol and drugs. It was a youth leader that introduced me to Playboy magazines and how to hide them from my parents. It was a church leader who told me to stop bringing those black people to church. It was a church leader who drank wine every night and spent the rest of the week trying to make sure nobody knew about it. I walked away from these hypocrites at the age of 17. I swore I'd never come back to church. I kept that promise for 17 years. But then a flashpoint happened. A church service that was unplanned, a sermon that was unsettling, a scripture that was finally understood. It was a long story. But there was a flashpoint moment in my life, a moment when I experienced God and I knew I could never be the same again. The moment when I realized that Jesus is God. And all those stories in the Bible, they weren't fables, they were moments in history. That flashpoint changed my life. That realization in that moment, I can remember everything about that moment like you and I remember 9-11. I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. I remember the smells. I can remember that moment when that scripture came alive And I knew that I wasn't just reading a book. I was experiencing God in a very real and powerful way. It was literally a flashpoint. And I knew that I would never again be the same. I had promised myself that I'd never go back to church. Never fall for that hypocritical nonsense again. I thought I could just have Jesus and not his people. I didn't need church, just Jesus and me. I'm all in, God, you and me. I soon realized that you can't follow Jesus effectively without being involved in Christian community. It's impossible. We need each other. That's the way God designed it. Even Jesus himself had disciples with whom he shared his life, his experiences. We're also not solo creatures. We were never designed for and never do well in isolation. Spiritual babies can only grow up in spiritual families. I mean, think about that. Without the family, we might be saved, but our growth is stagnated. We need each other to grow. We need each other to learn how to forgive one another, to care for one another, to prioritize one another. 
I realized that good, bad, or indifferent, I would have to actively participate in a church family if I was gonna truly follow Jesus. That led me to my next flashpoint. The moment when I decided that if I was gonna follow Jesus, I had to be all in. It had to be everything or nothing. I walked around for quite a while talking to God about coming back to God. And I finally decided, look, if I'm gonna do this, I've gotta get to a moment in my life where I'm all in. It has to be everything or nothing. I can't do this part way. I can't add Jesus to what I'm doing. I've gotta make Jesus what I'm doing. I will never be the hypocrite I told myself that was somebody else's reason to walk away from God. I don't wanna be that youth leader somebody talks about in 30 years. I remember being at a hotel room at the Hyatt here in Sarasota. I was a consultant, I was working for Sarasota Memorial, Tammy was back in Dallas with all the kids, and she called me to tell me that she was getting baptized. I was so excited for her. And she wanted to know if we could do it together. Do I want to be rebaptized? Did I want to get baptized as an adult? I was nine years old the first time I said I surrendered to Christ. But now I knew so much more. I understood so much more. I went out to the bay by the hotel and I walked around. And I remember telling God that if I was coming back, I had to be all in. I came up out of the water of baptism. It would be my declaration to my friends, my family, and everybody that I was a true follower of Jesus, that I wasn't just talking about it, that I wasn't just playing church. I wasn't playing spirituality. I'm all in. Anything, anytime, anywhere. That's what I said when I came up out of the water. God, anything, anytime, anywhere. His truth, not mine. His truth, not my opinion. His truth, every word of it, exactly as he wrote it down. My flashpoint, this is real. I'm giving my life to him and I'm all in for whatever it is. God, whatever you have planned, I'm all in. And I knew when I came back from that bay, I would never again be the same. It's a flashpoint. That's what this series is about. This series is about what happens when you finally get to that moment in your life when you can commit to God with every ounce of your being, I'm all in. How do you take that leap of faith? How do you make sure that you're not holding anything back? How do you make sure you're not being hypocritical? What does it mean to be fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit? What does he want? How do I make sure I'm not saying that I'm fully surrendered, but actually that I'm beyond that, I'm all in? I wanna begin our journey by looking at a moment in history when there really was a flashpoint. Jesus had died, he'd resurrected, he'd gone to the Father who is in heaven. He told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for what they weren't sure. Jesus said to go away. You'll receive power. Go to Jerusalem, hang out. You'll, you'll get power. They didn't know what to expect. It could be a knock at the door. It could be a new leader. It could be Jesus himself coming back. They didn't know. They just began to pray. God, whatever it is you have, I want it. Now notice that the prayer preceded knowledge of what was coming. 
Jesus said, I'm going to get power. That's good enough for me, whatever it is. Maybe we wake up and we're all like bulked out. I don't know. He's going to give us power. I don't know what it looks like. I don't care because I know it's coming from Jesus and I'm all in. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now that's a flashpoint. Fire from heaven falling on people who are, Jesus, God, give it all. I want everything. And in that moment, everything changed. They knew they'd never be the same again. They didn't even know what was happening. But what they knew was, this is a moment. And it's going to redefine who we are. They knew it. Didn't understand it. They knew. The Holy Spirit had drenched them. And now they would be forever powered by the Holy Spirit. From that moment forward, the Holy Spirit was not just with them, the Holy Spirit was now in them. They didn't get some superpower, they became new spiritual beings, born in the Spirit, now spiritual beings having a human experience. Spiritual children, now part of God's spiritual family, born not of man, but of God. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And then we see their response. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe, I love that word. I like the word thunderstruck better. That's what we call it at home. That boy was thunderstruck. But it's that moment when you realize something big is happening and it's from God. And you want to hold it, but you can't because it's too big. But you know something big is happening and it's from God. When was the last time you truly saw the awe of God? When was the last time the awe of God came upon your soul? When was the last time you were surrounded by wonders and signs being done by those who are with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're realizing something's missing. This deeper experience that people talk about. I think I've heard of that before, but I can't say I've really experienced it. You see, I've been informed about Jesus, but I haven't been transformed by the Holy Spirit. I think I need a flashpoint, you may be saying. As badly as we want moments of awe in our lives, we can't manufacture them because they don't come from us. Moments of awe are like periodic love notes from God. He just drops them on us. I realize that at times I've tried to do God's work for him. Tried to stir him up. I'm part of a Western religious system that has means and methods and programs for doing church. I get blasted a lot because I don't do church like a business. 
A lot of people think, okay, well, we'll bring all of our business practices into the church, and some of that is necessary. But in the end, that approach requires very little help from the Holy Spirit. And the last I read, Jesus said he was going to build his church. You see, we don't fall on our faces and ask the Holy Spirit to fill these seeds. We don't always fall on our faces and ask God to bring people here who are desperate to know him. We don't fall on our faces and ask that God somehow makes a sermon or some word or something that comes from this place reach somebody across the world and they fall on their face and realize who Jesus is. No, you want to grow your church, don't, don't just pray to the Holy Spirit. Get on Facebook, get on websites, use marketing to do that. It'll be better. And we've deceived ourselves as a church mistaking physical bodies and buildings for evidence of spiritual life and growth. I'm not near as interested about filling these seeds as I am about helping fill you with the Holy Spirit. Because this church, just so you know, is not about bringing people here. It's about equipping you and sending you out there. When the Holy Spirit of God is so powerful in your life and you walk out of these doors, the world changes. They don't need to come here and hear me. They got you. That's why God put you there. A lot of churches mistake physical bodies and buildings for spiritual growth. Some churches remind me of crazed people who run around trying to stir up God to show up. They believe that God's attendance in their service is under their control and not his. Not realizing that God is already in their midst and he's just waiting for them to realize it. I saw a church recently on TV that reminded me of Mount Carmel and Elijah and the false prophets. False prophets laid out this bull they prepared and they started calling their God, oh Baal, answer us. There's no voice, no one answered. They limped around the altar they made and at noon, Elijah mocked them. Elijah basically says, look, I think he's in the bathroom. I think your God is not answering you because he's predisposed right now. Keep going. Maybe he'll show up. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves and their custom was swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until time of the offering of the oblation. And there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention. As we dive deeper into this study of the Holy Spirit, Please remember that we don't stir up the presence of God. He's not under our control, never has been, never will be. He is not a leash for us to bring out like a puppy and say, look, look at the Holy Spirit. Look at the gift I have. That's not how God works. We don't bring him out with just the right charismatic gift. God is everywhere and he chooses to use those gifts through us in the moment for what he's doing. Charismatic gifts are his to give, to use, and to express. We don't own them. We don't deserve them. We surrender and allow God to let them flow through us. It is our surrender to the presence of God, not our manufacturing of God, that moves us to moments of awe. The more we surrender all, the more room we give him to show us who he really is. Now, let me share my greatest fear as a pastor. It is dangerously possible for the church and every one of us 
to go through our programs and our routines and our activities and get to the end of our lives and realize that the Spirit of God has been almost entirely absent and neglected in the process. You can do American church, seemingly do it well. You can attend, you can serve, you can give, you can teach, you can volunteer, and never know the Holy Spirit. The greatest hindrance to the advancement of the glory of God in the world today is the attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. The greatest hindrance in the advancement of the glory of God in the world today is the attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. We want to blame the world and Satan's influence for our failure to advance the gospel. But I believe it is this self-sufficient mentality we have that plagues the church today. We believe we can actually do the work of God without the power of God. It's ludicrous. Sadly, the gospel is not advanced because many have the Holy Spirit essentially absent from their churches and they haven't stopped programming, marketing, and expansion efforts long enough to realize he left. Truthfully, churches are packed full of people, some even believers who've not developed a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' last instructions to his disciples, don't go unless you've received power from on high. That's what he told them. Do not go. In other words, don't you dare try to represent me without the power of me. Whoa. Don't you dare go in the world pretending to be me. That's called blasphemy. If you're gonna go out in the world and represent me, you better make sure you have my power in you. He told the disciples, don't you dare leave Jerusalem. Try to make it on the fact that you're a disciple. And yet that's exactly what happens week in and week out in many churches and Christ followers all over America. Now this sermon is about the Holy Spirit, the forgotten God. The power and presence of God in our life as a church, the power of God. It's gonna boil down to this question. Are we really desperate for the Holy Spirit? That's what it's going to boil down for. Have we personally and collectively as a church experienced the flashpoint of the Holy Spirit in our lives exploding? Are we desperate for that moment? Are we crying out like those in the upper room, begging God to send us his spirit and his power no matter what it means, no matter what he asks us to do? They prayed before they knew what they were receiving. Do we understand at our core of who we are as believers that we are wholly ineffective unless the Spirit of God is the most important thing in our life? Spiritual flashpoints in our lives occur because God chooses to reveal himself to us. They occur because God chooses to reveal himself to us to make us more aware of his presence and his plan for our life. Obviously, these flashpoints happen more often in those who are more spiritually connected, those who abide each day in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at somebody who knew what it was like to depend on God for every moment and everything. 
Moses had a flashpoint moment where God literally lit up his world. The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside and quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for them, hold on just one sec. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it to sacrifice to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God's telling Moses, look, while we're up here doing this spiritual kumbaya, this, this bonding thing we're doing, your people are down there creating their own God. And God's furious. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I can make a great nation of you. In other words, Moses, here's how this is gonna work. They're done. They're toast. I made a promise to Abraham and I promised you we would save the Israelites from Egypt's bondage. We're gonna do that, but they're done. And Moses responds with the greatest intercessory prayer of the Old Testament. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. God, remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and you said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they will inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he's spoken of, bringing on the people. And he does something even worse that we're going to see. Worse than wiping them out. So Moses returns to the Lord and he says, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of your book that you may have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go. Lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, the angel will go before you. But now the worst thing that could ever happen. In the day of the visit, I will visit their sin upon them and God's gonna tell them, I'm not going with you. Eventually, rather than destroying all of God's nation, Jewish nation, he says, look, I promised you the land. You're gonna get there. I'll take you there. I'll have an angel take you there. We'll get there. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and all the people who you brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I told him to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I won't go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you're a stiff-necked people. God says, look, I'm keeping my promise. But I'm not going with you. Your sins are too great. You're worshiping false idols. I'm gonna keep my promise to you, but I'm not going with you. It's a powerful thing when you think about it. God says, look, I kept my covenant. You can have my blessings, but not my presence. You see, a lot of people live that today. God, I don't really want your presence in my life. You see, I'm too busy to actually abide with you, but I want your blessings. I don't really care if you're with me or not. Just keep blessing me. 
Churches today treat eternity like this. Just say a prayer and you'll go to heaven. It's blasphemy. You can have the blessings of God without having to submit to his authority. You just say this prayer, tell him you're sorry, you'll be saved. You keep doing whatever you've been doing. You don't go to heaven if you don't want God. Only one reason we came to Christ, and that is to get our relationship restored with the Father. That's why we're here. I ask people all the time, if you could have heaven, eternal life, no disease, no death, no problem, eternity, no relational issues, no sin, golden streets, your palace, whatever it is, whatever blessing God had planned for you, and Jesus wasn't there, and God wasn't there, would you still want to go? Spend some time meditating on that. Am I seeking the blessings of God and the protection of eternal life, or am I seeking God himself? Is being in his presence the most important thing in my life, no matter where we go or what we do? Or do I want him to give me a wrinkle-free life? And if he's there, great. If not, just keep pouring out the blessings. Moses was in the middle of that decision. Look at what he says. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and the people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses says, look, I know there's a promised land. You promise it, you'll give it to us. But if you don't go with us, leave us here. You see, because God, we're not about what you're giving us. We're about you. We're not about what you can promise us. We're about you. We just spent 400 years in slavery, separated from our God, crying out to God. It's God we're looking for, not just some kind of wrinkle-free, blessed life. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses says, please show me your glory. A couple things very unique about this. This is Moses. He'd seen the burning bush. He felt God's power flow through him when the Red Sea split. He communed with God for 40 days and 40 nights up on top of the mountain. He'd been so close to God, his face literally lit up for days. He spoke to God and God says, look, Moses, I know you by name. Translated, I know you. I know your character. Your name has power and value. I know everything about you. You have found favor in my sight, Moses. And yet Moses says, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. I would be like, what? What do you think I've been showing you for the last month and a half? But you know why he says that? Because once you've encountered a flashpoint with God, you desperately want more. You try to hold it. You try to keep it from going away. You try to hold on to it. You finally surrender. You're all in and you experience the presence of God like you've never had it before. And all you want is more.
It's where Moses is. There's four lessons I want us to look at today. Come out of this story and a realization before we start our journey. The first thing is, is we have an assignment we can't fulfill. We have an assignment we cannot fulfill. God gave us an impossible assignment for us to fulfill. Go therefore, baptizing all people. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not something that gets accomplished by us. We can't do it. We don't have the skills. God's very clear. Nobody saves anybody. I save people. My spirit gets poured out on them. They begin to see the truth. God-sized missions require God. The promised land has no promise if you're not there with God. Moses says, look, God, there's no way I can take these people into that land apart from your presence. I'll fail. I know it. I don't have the resources. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I'm desperate for your presence, God, because I don't know what I don't know. And I will fail this mission if you don't come with me. Is that how you feel about the mission of this church? About your personal mission? Ineffective on our own because we, we know that nothing happens without the presence of God. And our church is not gonna impact this community or the world until we fall on our faces and embrace our need for the Holy Spirit of God. Do you realize how big and impossible the task we've been given really is? No church will be effective until we fall on our faces and depend on the Holy Spirit. It's not gonna happen. When we say, God, this task is too big for us, Please pour out your spirit on us. We're desperate for more of you. We're beginning to understand God's plan for our church. And that realization is a flashpoint. We come here every Wednesday night at six o'clock and we pray for more of the Holy Spirit. God, pour your spirit out on this place. Make us more effective. We need you. I can't do this on my own. I'll fail. Second thing, we've been given a huge privilege. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. Picture that. There's a tent right outside and it's so holy that we can't approach it. But Moses can. And as Moses goes up that hill and he goes outside of the town and he goes up to that tent, they all stand in awe at their tent. And you know every one of them is going, I wonder what that's like. I wonder what's going on inside that tent. They'd watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of God would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The Israelites wanted to be like Moses. He knew God. He talks to him like we're talking. 
He went into the tent. He went up on the holy mountain. He went to the holy ground of God. They wondered what it would be like to be in his presence, to feel the awe, to be that close to the holiness of God. All they could do is worship. Very few people in the Old Testament had that kind of experience with God. Yet they all longed for it. What would it be like if we could just enter into the presence of God? What would it be like if like Moses, we could shine because we've been with Christ? What would it be like to just go into his presence and belong there? Jesus said when the Holy Spirit came, everything would change. That it's better to have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus remain on earth. Do you realize that you live in a place with God that millions of people only dreamed about? You and I are living in the time of the ripped curtain. There's nothing keeping us from going into the presence of God. We don't stand outside and wonder what it would be like to be in the presence of God. In Jesus' name, we walk in and talk to our Father because we belong there. Surrendering to Jesus has the privilege of being in the tent. Do you realize you're in the tent? The presence of God lives in you. They only dreamed about such a thing. Your face glows with his spirit. Others can tell you've been with him. How can we get so busy and ignore the great privilege that's been given to us? And yet many of us walk right past the holy place every day, the tent, if you will, while the Holy Spirit waits inside, holding gifts and truths and plans to tell us the future. He's waiting inside for you and me to finally abide, and we're too busy, we just keep walking by. Wondering when God's going to do something about our problems. We have an assignment we can't fulfill. We have been given a great privilege. And third, we have a family we can't forget. He said to him, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. Notice he didn't say, don't bring me. Don't bring us. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and the people, Is it not your going with us that makes us distinct? You see, here's what they understood. Here's what Moses understood that we need to understand. It's the presence of God that made the Jewish people stand out from every other person on earth. It's the presence of God in our lives that make us stand out from every other person in our culture, in our world. It's not that we're special. We're not. We're a group of messed up people. But we have the presence of God. And that's what makes us distinct in this world. Do you hear the desperate cry of Moses? Is that where you are? Are you sitting here today, God, going, look, God, I can't go out of this room. I can't go out there. I can't face what's going on without you. If you're not going with me, God, just end it right here. I can't go out there without you. Is that where your heart is? I pray that that's the cry of our church's heart. That we have a flashpoint moment where we finally realize how desperate we are for God to help us do his work. How desperate we are for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I don't care how many seats are filled. I don't care how big the building is. I don't care how long we keep orange carpet. 
All I care about is that when we leave this place, we know we need God and that God is with us and the world sees it. That's all. The Spirit of God moves among His people. That's what a flashpoint is. We have a family we can't forget. Our Father is with us and we're linked with each other. When we leave this place, we go together. We stand for the family name and for honor. We go represent our Father and we invite people into the family. And that leads us to the fourth and final point. We have a God we can't fathom. We have a God we can't fathom. Moses knew what many of us don't. No matter how much you experience God, the one thing you're sure of is there's a lot more. The awe is in the realization that you're getting only a glimpse of his glory. You're getting only a glimpse of his majesty and you're getting only a glimpse of his holiness. Moses said, show me your glory. It's a bold prayer. Show me your glory. How could he ask God for more? Once you've tasted the glory of God, you have an insatiable appetite for more. Does that describe your relationship with the Holy Spirit today? More desperate for him than anything else in your life. God, I don't care if I'm here tomorrow. All I care about is in this moment when I walk out of this room, you're with me. You want to take me tomorrow? Take me. I don't care. Just don't leave me. Show me your glory in this moment. This could be your flashpoint moment when that crazy preacher got up on the stage and talked about how important it is that you and I walk with Christ or we don't walk at all. How could Moses ask God for more? How could he not? <laughs> he gets a glimpse of God. He doesn't want a glimpse. He wants everything. How desperate are you for more of him than anything else in your life? That's what this series is going to be about. Jesus told us about the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you what John recorded. I still have many things to say to you, he says, but you can't bear them right now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He'll guide you to truth. He'll declare to you things to come. He'll reveal God's glory. He'll show you God. We walk around and talk, God, when are you going to do something about my problems? When are you going to let me get over my fear of the future? And all the time, the Holy Spirit is sitting there waiting for us to abide so he can tell us those things. But we're too busy, too busy trying to solve our own problems. And we rush past the tent telling God, we'll be right back. But knowing we're not going to be right back today. In this series today, I could have called it a flashpoint, I guess. But I wanted to get more to the heart of the matter. When I look around churches, including this church, I often ask God, are we all in? Are we all in? God, do you have their heart? Are they willing to do whatever you tell them? 
Are they abiding in you, receiving their power from you, and fully surrendered to you? Holy Spirit, do you have free and total reign in their lives? God, are you their life or just part of it? God, are they seeking first the kingdom of God? And then each day as part of my quiet time, I ask the same questions to the Holy Spirit about me. I still have a long way to go. But I know in my heart of hearts that it's my desire to seek him above everything else. Most important thing is my first step into the tent every day. I don't have to have it figured out. I don't have to know anything. I just gotta be smart enough to know where to go. And where to go is on my face in prayer and with the Bible, with the Holy Spirit. That's where I need to be. The most important thing in my first step is right into that tent where I choose to abide. Once I go in and surrender, the Holy Spirit does everything else. He gives me power. He tells me what's going to happen. He helps me understand what he wants us to do in his power as we go out into the world. We're going to begin this series that's all about the Holy Spirit. And like the disciples in the upper room, we're going to receive him and fully embrace the gifts, the power, the fruit of our relationship with him. In this series, God is going to prompt you and me to surrender more, to trust him more, and to experience him more. But before we go there, one question's paramount to the start of our journey. We're going to spend some time praying at the altar and taking communion in a minute. Taking communion is a moment where Jesus says, every once in a while, I want you to stop. I want you to realize where you're at. I want you to evaluate where you're at. I want you to recommit to the mission. This is my body given for you. Take the bread, do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you take communion, you examine your heart and you decide, am I all in? And every time we take communion, that's the expression of our heart. When we take communion, we're telling Jesus, yes, yes, I'm all in. For the next few minutes, the altar is going to be open. And there's really one question I want you to nail down today. Am I all in? God, when I get on my knees in front of you and you know everything, do we both agree that I'm all in? Am I ready for whatever you want? Am I in that place in my heart fully surrendered? Do I know that when I leave this place, God's going with me? Is there any area of my life where I'm holding back? Any area of my life where I'm afraid to trust you to go? Any sin that I'm demanding you look over and ignore? Any area of my life where I'm being hypocritical? Am I saying I'm following you, but there's something I'm doing in my life that says I'm not, and I refuse to change? Is that me? Am I desperate to abide knowing that there's so much more? For the next few minutes, the altars are open. I'm going to ask you to come pray between you and God. Nobody knows where you're at except you and God. Nobody knows your desperation for the Spirit except you and God. You may be here and you have, look, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just stumbled into this place because they said there was food afterwards. And yet somehow deep in my soul, what you're saying makes some sense and I don't understand. If that's you, I would love to talk to you after the service. Um, don't leave without talking to us. So when the music starts, we're gonna share communion. 
But first, I want you to spend some time doing some very serious business with God. Because after this week in this series, I'm going to assume we're all in and we truly want what the Holy Spirit offers. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who wants to be with us. That you're a God who dwells with us. That you gave us your power and your spirit and you told us to just surrender. So God, as we take communion, as we remember the sacrifice Jesus made to be able to allow us to come in your presence, may we recommit to never taking for granted what you've given us, to never want your blessings without your presence, and to want your presence even if there are no blessings. God, move our hearts, draw us close to you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.